0: But I've been loving the series that we're concluding today, which was entitled, if you listen to my wife, When God Win! Not quite that. She's No, no, I did that badly. It's, uh, anyway, but that whole frustration that all of us can experience where we've got a promise, a hope, a prophecy, something that we believe that God has got for us and it doesn't happen. And we've been looking at this mainly through the life of Abram and Sarah who from the time a promise was given to the time that it was fulfilled, took 25 years. Just let that sink in for a moment. 25 years. And they experienced frustration and on occasion even tried to help God out, which added additional problems to their lives. But I have entitled or subtitled this message from when God went to it's just ridiculous And it's a phrase that I'm hearing whether those exact words or that sentiment quite a lot at the moment. It's just ridiculous everything's going on, that's going on. But I'm actually talking about it's just ridiculous the amount of blessing that God has for your life, that the covenant blessings that come to us through Abraham are just ridiculous. You see, God gives us incredible promises. He always leads us through very challenging circumstances or processes, but with the heart to bring us into abundant provision, ridiculous blessing. And after Abraham and Sarah had had their son Isaac, the son of laughter, the son of joy, the son of promise, God says something that is very different. He says, I want you to go to this mountain to sacrifice. You can read it in Genesis 22. And on the way, he says, well, where's the sacrifice? He says, I want your son. And it seems, well, this is the son of promise, and now you want my son. And Abram goes all the way to the out, where it says by faith he had already received Isaac back from the dead. He was ready to fulfill what God had asked him, and God stops him because God is not into child sacrifice. He was making sure that Abram's heart was totally committed to him. And then the angel of the Lord, Genesis 22, then the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself. I want you to catch these words. God taking an oath. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. I want you to notice you didn't withhold your son, your only son. And in the covenant relationship, something extraordinary has happened. In Abraham being willing by faith to sacrifice his son, he empowers God to send his only son to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. But I want you to notice, I will surely bless you. But the blessing is not just for Abram, because all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of the son that's coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, to lay down his life. And he said, this all happened, Abram, because in faith you obeyed me. You obeyed me. And this morning, maybe it's going to come a little uncomfortable for some of us where we get challenged, am I actually obeying God? And the spirit of this is to encourage you to take steps of faith, steps of obedience, so that the blessing of God, not because you earn it, because it's an act of faith, and we're going to see that, releases the blessing of God, ridiculous blessing in the midst of challenging circumstances. I love something that I came across that Duke Ellington said. He said, royalty is inherited from another human being. But blessedness comes from God. So your position in life may in some way have been determined by your heritage, your parents, and what you inherited through there, and in the ultimate sense, royalty. But blessing comes from the heart of God to your life. In Genesis 15, where Abram is so frustrated with waiting for God's promises, He's waited 15 years, and he has a little bit of a meltdown, and we talked about that in an earlier message. God enters into a covenant relationship. You can read it for yourself. It's a little bit strange, some of the passage there, but it's the cutting of the covenant where God enters into covenant relationship with Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on what happened in Genesis 15. And he says this, When God made his promise, if Everybody say promise. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abram received what was promised. Now there's so much going on here and I just want to highlight one or two things. God has given a promise and God is not a man that he should lie. God has given a promise. That would have been sufficient. But in order to give us and Abram assurance, God takes an oath. And the writer of Hebrews says, there was no one greater by which God could swear this oath. When you go to court or I can even remember at school when you tell a friend something and it goes really? And then you go, swear. And you have to swear by your grandmother or something. You remember, you remember that. You're calling on something higher than yourself to keep you honest, to keep you accountable. And there's no greater than God. And so God swears by himself. And I want you to catch this. He's given the promise. Now he gives an oath. He swears by himself, and he's literally saying, if I don't send a savior, if I don't send blessing, then I will cease to be God. I swear by myself. God in every sense is putting himself on the line. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, this is Hebrews chapter 6, to explain why God did that. God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, there's the promise, the immutability, the unchanging nature of his purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable, I actually love the old King James thing, by two immutable things, immutable, unchanging, permanent things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to what is hoped. And when you notice, it says that Abram had to wait patiently. And so God gives the promise and he gives his oath for what purpose? So that we might have strong encouragement. And that phrase, strong encouragement, is such a beautiful one in the original Greek. It means literally to come alongside somebody and to shout encouragement to them as they're going through what they're going through. And I want you to get this picture. It's this picture of God by His Spirit coming alongside you in your circumstance right now and saying, you can do it. You've got the promise. You've got God's guarantee. You've got God's strength. Come on, you can do it. And I hope literally, as Abram heard a voice from heaven, you will hear a voice from heaven today. God coming alongside you in that point where you are struggling where life is difficult, where things are maybe so different to what you expected, where the promise doesn't seem. Come on, just keep having faith. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. Keep walking with Jesus. That's the strong encouragement. The Holy Spirit coming alongside you today to speak encouragement saying, I know the pain, I know the frustration, I know the disappointment, but come on, you can do it. God has promised and he's guaranteed it with an oath. So we are to obey, to hold fast and to wait patiently for the fulfillment of what is promised in our life because God wants to release ridiculous covenant blessing in our life. Now I need to say up front, that doesn't mean an absence of challenge, of even pain, of difficulty, of things that happen in life. But in the midst of the circumstance, God said, I've got blessing for you. I've got blessing for you. In the book of Galatians, and we don't have time to drop into great detail here, but Paul makes it very clear that we are connected to the Abrahamic covenant, to all the promise of blessing that was given to Abram as believers, followers of Jesus We're entitled to it. So those who rely on faith, not works, not superhuman effort, not not your righteousness, but your faith, your simple trusting Jesus. So the rose who rely on faith are blessed, are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. Jesus announces some aspects of the covenant blessing when he quotes and reads from the prophet Isaiah in Luke 4, verse 18 and following. And he says, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me "'because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, "'recovery of sight to the blind, "'to set at liberty those who are oppressed.'" And I want you to catch this, "'to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Along with others, I have posted memes about 2020. And one of my favorite is from Back to the Future, where the professor's talking to the, the hero and he says, Whatever you do, don't dial in 2020. And all of us kind of go, Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. But I want to speak over you today, over myself, over our lives that we in the midst of one of the toughest years the planet has seen in recent history can experience a year of the favor of the Lord. And the year is not just simply 365 days, but it's a season of God's blessing and favor that doesn't remove all the problems, whether they connected to COVID or just personal stuff that you would have gone through anyway. God says, this can be a season of extraordinary favor. Doesn't remove you from the circumstance, but in the circumstance brings blessing. And I brought that passage up because Jesus, when challenged about it, immediately drops into something that kind of got me a little bit excited. You might have noticed, I'm just a little bit excited this morning. He says, in Israel's time, I'm continuing to read out of the gospel of Luke chapter 4. Verse 25, he's explaining this declaration that he's just made. A year of the favor, a season of God's favor, a season of God's blessing. He says, in Israel, in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years, an extraordinary, difficult drought, and a severe famine devastated the land. Notice there is nothing nice about the circumstances. They are horrendous. Yet Elijah was not sent to anyone in Israel. He was sent instead to a foreigner, to a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And he goes on to say, and God didn't heal a leper in Israel, he healed Nahum. Now the story, because I want to deal with the widow of Zarephath. And he illustrates the blessings of the covenant are not just for the people of Israel, they for anybody who has faith. Remember, that was the promise given to Abraham. Those who rely on faith will be blessed along with Abraham. The covenant blessings that were spoken over Abraham are for us if we've come with simple childlike faith. The release of the captives, the good news in the midst of bad news, blind sight restored, and the year of God's favor is available to those. And I love the story. And again, there's so much richness in it. And I'm just going to touch on this. But Elijah just springs up into the pages of scripture, comes from nowhere, it would seem. But he actually comes from Gilead. And they were kind of, the Israelites that were born on the wrong side of the railway tracks. In fact, the Jordan River, there's a whole history attached to that. And they kind of despise you, you Israelites and part of the tribe of, tribe of Gad and Manasseh. And, and, but really, you, he comes from the wrong side of the tract. And he gets sent to a Gentile widow in Sidon in a foreign country to bring extraordinary blessing in a season of three and a half years of drought and famine. And God's covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus allows you and I to experience a year of the Lord's favor. 2 Peter 1.4 says he's given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises you can experience partnership with the divine nature. I remind you again, so those who rely on faith putting your trust in God, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And I'd encourage you today and give you a little bit of homework. Read 1 Kings 17, the story of Elijah and the widow woman, the widow of Zarephath. God had made provision for him. And as the drought tightens, God initially sends him to a brook near the Jordan River, where a raven feeds him. And then the brook dries up because the drought is so severe. And then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. I just want you to notice there. Just say the word there. Dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. There are similar words when the drought first bites. I've commanded ravens to feed you there. And so he did what the Lord told him. I've commanded a widow woman to feed you there. So he rose and went. And I want to ask you this simple question. Are you where God wants you to be? And maybe to be there, it's not necessarily like it was here, a geographical relocation. It is simply, are you there in a right place with God? And if you're not, we're going to pray a prayer at the end. They will get you there. Maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's an act of obedience that you just know in your heart, oh, "I haven't done it, I need to do it in order to get you there, to the place of God's provision. And it says he'd already spoken to this widow, this widow woman who's not an Israelite, who's seemingly outside of the promises and the covenant, but you'll see her faith brings her right into it. And so Elijah goes to Zarephath up in Sidon. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there. And she's gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, once you notice, the prophet doesn't just turn up and become mean and steal this woman's last meal. God had already spoken to her, but she's struggling with obedience to that. And she's not condemned for us. We all struggle with obedience at times. God had commanded her already to provide for Elijah. And instead of preparing the meal for Elijah, she's preparing a meal for her and her son to die. Instead of preparing for the miracle, she's preparing to die. She's still living in the realm of the possible, and I can so identify and empathise with her. And her disobedience is not willful. I'd suggest you it's born out of deep tragedy. She's a widow. She's lost. There's loss. There's pain in her life. There's disappointment. And now, a circumstance of a severe famine and a severe drought that is afflicting that whole part of the world. But living in the realm of the possible is not enough to sustain her. And I want to say to you that living in the realm of the possible is not enough to sustain you. And so she said, As the Lord God lives, I've got nothing. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. And when you live in the realm of the possible, which we all get dragged into, we come to this conclusion, I've got nothing. I only have a little. And I'm just gathering the little bit that I've got in the hope that somehow I'll survive. And if not, well, it's all over. And Elijah encourages her to live in the realm of the impossible. And Linda spoke so well to that last week that nothing is impossible to God. And when we are at our lowest point, the wisest thing we can do is go to the place, to go there to the place that God has commanded us and position Jesus as the authority over our lives. And I love Elijah's encouragement. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't condemn her. That God told you, why haven't you? He speaks to the fear in her life. And he says to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. He doesn't even say, well, God told me I could have the whole meal. He says, just give me a little bit of it. And what he's encouraging her to do is to overcome her faith and take a small step of faith. And that's what I'm encouraging you today. In order to go there to the place of God's blessing, the place of God's provision, the covenant blessing, take that step of faith. Don't let fear rule your heart. Because fear loves to execute faith. But faith executes fear. It overcomes it. Is an incredible promise given to the nation of Israel that I felt to speak over all of us today. That the offspring of Abram, my friend, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, to the offspring of Abram, and I love that, my friend, because he was a man of faith. I have chosen you, and not co- uh, uh, I have chosen you, and not cast you off. Fear not. I am with you, do not be dismayed. For I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what we see in this miracle that takes place, for this prophet that comes from the wrong side of the river, this woman who's outside of the immediate covenant of Israel, but is a woman of faith, she struggles to obey, but she does. She moves from fear to faith, and so can you. Because this is what Elijah says to her. as She goes to prepare the cake from the little bit of meal and the little bit of oil. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away. And did as Elijah had told her. Can you imagine the extraordinary faith that took when she's got so little? It's just a little, but she goes and obeys. And out of the little, she brings the first to Elijah. There's a principle there. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman and her family. Notice how the blessing spills over. Her obedience, her act of faith, was treated by God as a first fruits offering. Remember Elijah said, but first. And there's something about when we put God first, when we bring the first to God. That's the principle but behind tithing our generosity and all that. We put, we bring something first to God. In that act of faith, God releases blessing. It was a seed, this little, I've only got a little, but out of the little, this little becomes a seed that resulted in a harvest of provision that lasted for three and a half years. She only gave one meal away and she received in return over a thousand days worth of meals. And that faith connected to the blessings that were promised upon Abram and are promised on us. In Deuteronomy 28 verse 2, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I want you to notice that concept that the blessing is actually chasing you. You're not chasing the blessing. The blessing overtakes you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And I want to encourage you to be bold where there's fear to take a step of faith, where there's been disobedience or incomplete obedience to say, God, help me walk in obedience. I step out in faith for you and the blessings will overtake you. The greatest blessing that was promised through Abram was that as he was willing to offer up his son, God would offer his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so our sins could be forgiven, so we could be brought into a life-giving relationship with our heavenly Father.